So I just got in the mail the annual Amazon catalog. Oh, yeah. I think I, I think I saw that come in as well. As I was leafing through it, I came across something that really just jumped out at me. A kid-style Peloton stationary bike. Yes, I have seen that on the interwebs. No need to ride your actual bike outside. What other kind of adult activities that we can kidify, so to speak? One of the first things that spring to mind for me is, is there a like a kid's version of Zoom? Well, FaceTime, I guess, right? Grandparents or uh, with their buddies or, you know, whatever. Um, can we bring to children like the, the joys of managing an email inbox in a very child-friendly way? I feel like almost like we need adult versions of the kids stuff. Like the adult version of uh, TikTok. Oh, wait, that's Facebook. We've already got that. Welcome to Touchpoint, a podcast dedicated to discussions on digital marketing and patient engagement strategies for hospitals, health systems, and physician practices. In this podcast, we'll dive deep into digital tools, solutions, and strategies that are impacting our industry today. We hope to share a lot of great information with you and have fun along the way. Thanks for joining us. Now, here are your hosts. Welcome to Touchpoint. Welcome to episode number 247. I'm Reed Smith. That is Chris Boyer. Hey, Reed. I'm over here playing with my Legos, a toy that is good for both kids and adults. They really have done well. The architecture set, stuff like that. Anyway, yeah, not to get too sidetracked there, but love Legos. Well, welcome one and all to Touchpoint. I hope you're joining us uh, for another round. If, uh, if you are, thank you. If not, uh, welcome for the first time. Like I said, I'm Reed. That's Chris. We host this show that you're listening to called Touchpoint, which is also part of the Touchpoint Media Network. You can find out more about that over at touchpoint.health, more about this episode, this show, who in the world Chris and I are, along with all the other shows that are on the network. There's probably about 20 of them or so these days. While you're there, while you're at the website, you'll notice uh, the TPS report listed up in the top navigation. Would encourage you to sign up for that. Uh, that will afford you one email a week from us. One, that's it. Comes out first of the week. Start your Monday with five articles that our show hosts have aggregated. It gives you a little bit of reading, uh, some insights into the industry, things like that. So I uh, promise not to do anything else with the email address. While you're there, sign up for that. We'd certainly appreciate it. We would also love it if you would rate, review, subscribe, wherever you happen to be listening or streaming. That uh, certainly helps us out a ton. Reach out, Twitter, LinkedIn, all that kind of fun stuff. We'd love to hear from you. We'll take a quick pause here and then be back with today's show. Chris, in today's digital age, your online reputation, as we all know, is crucial. With customers relying on online reviews, your first impression is also compared directly with your competitors. Sure is. And Reed, consider this. 86% of patients today read online reviews and 73% demand that that healthcare provider has a minimum four-star rating. Demand. They demand it. Yeah, they do. Well, to stand out, choose reputation to help amplify your brand and to build trust. Be the provider of choice in your area, understand patient sentiment, get actionable insights, and even foster patient loyalty. And look, here's the easy way you could do that. All you need to do is go visit reputation.com slash touchpoint. That's reputation.com slash touchpoint. 
where you can download their healthcare online reputation management guide and build a reputation that performs for you. Reed, today we're going to be talking about the quote-unquote digital front door again. This is a concept that we've noted before, is one that's misunderstood and encompasses many different digital products, so to speak, and is not really a front door. And if you remember, oh, it was over a year ago, we actually did an episode called The Digital Front Door is Neither the Front Nor a Door. Right. right. <laughs> yes, that is true. <laughs> but it's still very important. And, you know, as you think about it, most organizations, health systems are really looking at improving their digital front door nowadays. And so today's episode, we're going to kind of dig into sort of the imperatives around why that is important. I think there's a, a realization that certainly the website is important, still important, but is not the front door and not kind of what we thought it would be. Again, people find themselves there, but there are a million other places people start and ultimately find care that don't involve your hospital website. Well, you know, it was funny because I was talking about this the other day with my boss, and she used a term that I really liked. She referred to it as the revolving door or the digital revolving door. Mm. Makes me think of uh, the movie Elf. When he gets trapped in the revolving <laughs> front door, because uh, I think that's the reality. People find themselves kind of caught in in a loop in some cases of where do I go, where not to go. We think about it in the live and in person experience as why the clipboard, why am I filling this out? I feel already filled this out. You you find yourselves a lot of times in these loops, these experience loops, and so I do think the front door because the the path of the consumer is not linear anymore that it is probably a revolving door. Absolutely. And when you th were talking about the m movie Elf and him getting caught physically in a revolving door, that could actually happen in our organizations too, physically, right? So this speaks to the larger effort to just improve that overall experience of patients and things like that. But what's interesting as we were, as we were talking about this, something showed up in my newsfeed that just jumped out. And it was this study from AHIMA, AHIMA is the American Health Information Management Association. Their foundation put together a study that they refer to as Understanding Access and Use of Health Information in America. That's a big topic. They synthesized it down to a couple of major takeaways, and all of them are related to this whole concept of sort of a revolving digital front door, so to speak. Why don't we spend some time kind of digging into it? The first thing I want to I want to say um, there was an article that we'll link to in the show notes that then can allow you to link through to actually download the actual study, and I would recommend anybody to do that when they do because there's a lot of great takeaways in here. But the article that drew us to it was actually uh, the headline was "76 percent of patients leave the physician's office unsatisfied and turn to the internet to supplement visits." I believe it. I mean, just looking at the comments that come in on Facebook pages that we uh, that we man or monitor or, or manage on behalf of clients of ours, or reviews that are left online, things like that, you, you you do see a lot of you know went to the ER. He didn't even do anything. And the reality is, is they probably didn't need done what they thought they needed done. 
right? They didn't need to run that test or they didn't need medication or, or what, what have you. But because of the lack of Q&A, because of how rushed everybody is, because of how, how COVID has jammed the hospitals full, they're leaving having not feel, they, they don't feel like that all their questions got answered. They don't understand what's going on or what the next steps are, even though maybe the care was appropriate. That's the major, one of the major findings from this study, right? They said here that a majority of Americans, 76%, don't fully grasp right. the information discussed with their doctor during visits, and they leave in the dark about what to do next. They don't have a clear picture of what's going on. Yeah, and you couple that with, there's another stat they have in here that, that one in, almost you know, one in four don't feel comfortable asking you know, certain health questions. right. So you put those two stats together, and so you've got part of it where we, the healthcare system, are not doing a great job communicating, and you couple that with the other quarter that are not comfortable at times asking certain questions, and and you just really you you quickly get to a place here where it's like, okay, what does this ultimately do to people's care, the healthcare system as a whole? So what happens is they, they leave these health encounters, these patients, right? And they're left kind of feeling in the dark, confused, and unsure of the information that they were given. And many don't even understand the medical information their doctor provides, 24% in the survey. That's crazy if you think about that. That's why they say, right, that this is why 15% or nearly 37 million Americans admit they sometimes feel more confused about their health than they did before their visit with their doctor. Uh, I mean, I believe it, especially, as, again, I think in some of the episodic kind of uh, visits, it, it's what I talked about, right? People are rushed. The place is crowded. Potentially, they went to the wrong side of care, you know, meaning it's not really an ER visit. They should have gone to urgent care or it's not really, you know, they, they should have gone to a primary, whatever, right? And we're really busy and the hospitals are crowded, and, you know, and people are short on time, not communicating well. And, and then, you know, again, you couple that with people not being, uh, you know, willing to ask certain questions and that they're not really understanding, you know, really what they do get. It kind of puts us in a, in a tough spot. Well, that leads to the second finding from the survey that Americans trust the internet to strengthen their grasp on their health. I'm not sure exactly how I feel about that, given all the conversations we've had about misinformation on the internet, but that's what's happening, Reed. They say here that more than two in five or 42% of Americans report that they research their doctor's recommendations to understand them better after the appointment. Well, you know, it's not strange to think. We turn to the internet for for everything because that's just the way the world works uh, now. So, you know, you don't really fault anybody for it. It's probably more concerning because we we probably know, like, you know, what people are finding, which is unfortunate. Yeah, and I know that you and I as digital professionals, we try to really make sure that they're finding the right information, but we also know that there's a lot of unregulated information out there. But what's interesting, you know, to think about that, right, is that three in five of the respondents said that they would contact their doctor directly, just as many 
as they would turn to the internet to find that information. So now what we're doing is we're faced with a uh, uh, sort of a paradigm read where the internet is becoming now, you know, what we were joking about many years ago is like the new Dr. Google, right? This is where people are going now to get information. And I think there's a lot of systemic things that kind of lead into why this is there, that the internet is always there. It's 24-7. You could just open up a browser and get that information. I don't think we make it that accessible for patients after post-care to ask questions of their health team. Yeah, I think that is fair. And I think, uh, so one, we've got to do better with that. But two, this also drives home a point, uh, Dr. Brian Vardabedian Dr. Ferris Tamimi and, and other folks that you and I have been involved with for a lot of years uh, that are medical doctors have said, which is, you know, this is why Dr. Vardabedian is so uh, prolific online because he wants people to find the right information. He advocates for that and, you know, is really pushing for physicians to have that presence and be part of the voice and the solution and things like that. Dr. Tamimi at the Mayo Clinic. You know, this is why he and Lee Acey and others over the years have, you know, really forged into this idea of we need to train and get our doctors, our clinicians, you know, uh, visible online. Mm-hmm. Because, again, you want people finding them and that information and those connections uh, versus just somebody that thinks they know what they're talking about. And the study is interesting. Again, go download it because there's a lot of facts in here. Reed and I are just kind of hitting the high-level points here. But one of the things they say here, when Americans seek out medical information on the internet, they have a good breakdown here. They say that 86% believe that the information they find online is credible. Oh, boy. I know. 42% are relieved there is a lot of information, so they have a lot of resources to get to. 35% are more confident in their doctor's recommendations and 33% feel better that they learned more than, than what they got in that appointment setting. So the concerning part of that to me is I'm happy that a little over a third of the folks are more confident in what their doctor told them. I would have hoped that number would be higher considering 9 out of 10 practically uh, believe that the information they're finding is credible. So what are they finding that's different or not making them more confident, right? Like I, I get it. It's not exactly tying those two together, but I was hoping the you know reinforcement of what the physician told you would have been a little higher. Same. That is a little distressing to me. Reed, why don't we do this? Why don't we take a quick break? We'll come back uh, after the pause here and we'll talk about some of the other findings in this study, because I think they're totally fascinating, and then pivot to a, a good uh, report that we saw about how organizations are rethinking their digital front door strategies in part to address some of these uh, survey findings that they just uh, recently published. But we'll do that right after this break. Coming soon from Greystone, Bowstring, and Touchpoint Media, live from HCIC, a new podcast that brings you front row access to the latest innovative strategies that are shaping tomorrow's healthcare industry. In this 12-part series, as recorded live at the Healthcare Internet Conference, we'll hear from industry experts such as Paul Madsen of the Cleveland Clinic, Kathy Smith of Roper St. Francis Healthcare, David Feinberg from Mount Sinai Health System, Rose Glenn from Michigan Medicine, and many others. Subscribe now on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, or your favorite podcasting platform. This podcast series is brought to you by Greystone.net, Bowstring, and Touchpoint Media. 
Okay, Reed, before the break, we outlined some concerning stats about how people are searching online. This comes from that AHIMA study that, again, we'll link to in the show notes. What's interesting, though, there's some more follow-up information that I think is kind of fascinating for us to kind of highlight. One of the things they point out here is that 42 million Americans are currently feeling determined to make health a priority after they seek out health information on the internet. So, you know, before the break, we were talking about how it's sometimes hard to be discerning. That's a great number to say that a, a fair number of people now are, after they research online, they want to be healthy, right? Yeah, and I, I certainly, I'm sure that that hits home for people that maybe have been diagnosed with cancer. I would say it's probably less of the 42 million or people that, you know, had the flu, right? I mean, it's probably things that are either a chronic illness or something that they're going to have to deal with for a period of time. You know, it could even be just new parents, right? Again, not not necessarily an illness exactly, but their health. I, you know, I think about this a little bit as somebody that, you know, has has kids and it's like, okay, well, my, my health and well-being and wellness, if you will, is important because I want to be around, you know, for my kids for some years, right? So I think there's different motivating factors, but certainly it's it's probably uh, life experiences or chronic illness or, you know, something like that that's driving a lot of those numbers. You know, there's an interesting finding they had that kind of speaks to something that I have been thinking about for a long time. You know, when you go in person or even through a telehealth visit with a care professional for either, you know, a routine visit or even a complex encounter that you have, there is a certain amount of, I guess I would call it nervousness around that, that could cause you to feel a little uncomfortable in the doctor's office to ask some of those questions, This survey actually went into understanding this, and they found that far fewer people associate their use of the internet with feelings of nervousness, that they or a loved one is suffering from a serious medical issue, than when compared to being within the doctor's office. I think we're just in an interesting time where the availability of information, you know, how the healthcare system is starting to be disrupted and how people are engaging with it in non-traditional care providers or, you know, whatever it may be. It's just changed a lot of the way that we think about, quote unquote, going to the doctor. It really does, because now we have all like the, all that medical information at our fingertips before, during and after that medical encounter. I've also been sitting there, you know, with the doctor says something and leaves the, the, the room for a second to check on a, a, you know, a lab report or whatever, I've found myself pulling out that phone to kind of research what they just said to me, right? Because it's available to us at all times. It's in our pocket. It, it is. It's just human nature, right? Like we don't do well. Uh, most people don't do well with just the unknown, right? If they know that there's a potential answer available to them. Good example is, it's like, you know, most people that go in and have the ultrasounds done um, as you're, you know, pregnant and those types of things, they want to know, boy, girl, healthy, are there issues, you know, that kind of stuff. Uh, most people are not willing to wait. Now, there are some exceptions, right? Because of my faith and, and belief and things like that, there were certain screens we didn't do because it didn't really matter what the outcome of the screening was on like whether or not we were going to keep the baby or not, you know, that kind of thing. But, but, but I mean, like, you know, we're already doing an ultrasound because that's what they do. They're sitting there. They know if it's a boy or a girl, right? 
you know, it's like, well, we can tell you or not tell you. And it's like, okay, well, so most people just aren't good at waiting in, in the unknown, you know. They aren't. And I think the internet, in effect, kind of has a certain sense of security because you know it's there. You always know you can turn it on and you can research, right? You can get information. I mean, it might turn us into cyberchondriacs, right? Because oh, we're not, you know how that is. But another thing to highlight here before we get to the third and final finding of the study is they said that men are more likely than women to report that their confidence in their doctor's recommendations increase after they do a re- do research about what the doctor said online. You can see how going and quote unquote doing research online would potentially resonate or or maybe not not it doesn't resonate with everybody, but they're just fine stopping there, maybe is but is the better way to say it, where women want additional context. They want to have conversations with people. A lot of it's all, you know, how, how's my you know gut feeling and this, you know, whereas, you know, guys potentially could just go read something and go, oh, okay, I'm good. Uh, again, generalizing a little bit here, but but it's it's not a huge disparity either. It's forty versus thirty percent, but still, I, I can I can see it. Well, let's get to their final study because that's interesting. Because guess where all the importance is on now? They they say finding number three: medical records are a key component of health management, but millions of Americans still have difficulty accessing their information and question the security of the data they're getting from those portals. Well, gee, why would they question the security? <laughs> Every time I look up, we've had another data breach, and not just in healthcare, but just in life. And so, again, we talk about people's expectations as a consumer because of the rest of their life, right? Being able to schedule the haircut and on their phone, and you know, why can't they do it with a doctor or whatever? Same deal with data breaches and security. They see Facebook in the news all the time. They see some big box retailer getting hacked or exposing credit card information. So why would they not think, even if they don't have experience or anything to really draw from, uh, why would they not think that there's a potential security risk just on the interwebs? Exactly. There's other factors here too. We're going to get into them here. But it's interesting they say that Americans don't actively pursue their medical records. Nearly half of the people in the survey responded that said they don't usually review their medical records until much later after an appointment with their doctor, probably to get their lab findings, that sort of thing. And even more, 52% report that they rarely even access their medical records to review any health information at all. Well, why would you? In most cases, you go for an annual checkup and they say, listen, we'll call you if there's anything wrong. Yeah. So it's like, okay. So if no one calls, I'm not doing anything else at that point. And I think that's the entry point in a lot of cases for the portal, right? It's not when you go in with the sick kid or I've got a flu, I've got the flu or, oh, turns out I have strep or, or whatever. And you get a shot and leave and, you know, that kind of thing. It, it's in those well visits and, and some of those types of things where they have a potentially a better opportunity because you're not sitting there sick to introduce you to the portal, try to potentially get you to adopt it and that kind of thing. And I think too, you know, now some of this will probably start to change because of the last 18 months, I would guess, because you're going to have to access medical records if what you're going for is convenience, right? So i.e. some alternate care delivery methods like, you know, virtual visits and stuff like that. 
And I think a big part of, as we're talking about this digital revolving door kind of concept is we see a lot of these patient portals are now starting to expose some of that information in a more meaningful, consumable way so that people can access that information. Because even in the study, right, they say they estimate 59 million Americans don't really know where to go to get their portal to begin with. Right. (laughs) You know, that's the thing, right? So let's not pretend like people won't download and use an app. Because they will, obviously. I mean, you and I have recommended a million apps. You know, I talked about one last week with State Farm. Why would you download a State Farm app? Well, because there was enough benefit to downloading the app, right? I could save money. You know, my dad, he's 72 years old, only uses the Starbucks app because it's beneficial. Chick-fil-A, I don't know the last time that I ordered at Chick-fil-A that, that was not via the app. Because it's more convenient than than ordering when I get there. We, we've got to think about it in that that instance where there's got to be some real value, right? So you look at like my chart, which is the Epic, you know, app and the App Orchard. Well, that ecosystem to me is starting to make headway because there, you know, it's just like Apple, right? When the phone first came out, it was like, what am I going to do with this? Well, until other third party developers got involved, then it went from really cool to really, really cool, right? And, and super useful. And so I think that's what we're seeing now, you know, and so we've got to get people into these apps, but more importantly, it's not so much getting them in there the first time, it's getting them back to come back, right? Right. That revolving door concept right here. And that the study kind of ends, and there's a lot more to the study, by the way, you should download it. They get into generational trends, et cetera. I think it's really fascinating. But they say that there's three major uh, outcomes or improvements that Americans would see if they had better access to all their health information. 59% have indicated that they would have more confidence in understanding their health status. 52% say it would help them manage their health better, and nearly a half, 47%, said it would reinforce the trust in their doctor's recommendations if they simply had access to their health information in an easy, safe, consumable way. Makes sense, doesn't it? Yeah. I mean, there you go. How does this impact the sort of digital revolving front door kind of concept that we're talking about? I want to turn to briefly, and and we won't have time to dig into this too much, but there is a report that Class Research, and you remember Class, they've actually, one of the representatives has been on our call before, they actually released a Digital Front Door 2021 study, The View Through the Eyes of Market Leaders. We'll link to that in the show notes. And they kind of mapped out really up front here, when market leaders are kind of looking at their digital front door, where they're focusing their efforts on through a percentage. So they said here that when you look at all the different stages of that digital front or digital revolving door, so to speak, 50% of people are spending their time on pre-visit digital marketing acquisition stuff. You know, that's like outreach, CRMs, SEO, social media content, and email campaigns. That's kind of the world that we spend a lot of our time in, Yeah. So, you know, the marketing acquisition piece being 50% and then the next real step in the process being actually, you know, once they're acquired, finding in in what they call arranging care, right? So symptom checkers, chat bots, the provider search piece, the actual scheduling function, maybe an access or, or call center, things like that. 
95% of people they talk to mention something in that world, right? So we've got people talking about marketing and we got people talking about arranging care. And I would say that's probably where most people stop when they think about the digital front door because it sounds like, you know, front door sounds like it's up front, right? And it, that, that's just where it kind of stops. But that's that's not what we're seeing. No, that's not where we're seeing this whole concept of the revolving door. Now, there's another phase, which is during visit, digital care tools. Only 15% of the leaders surveyed are spending time on that. And what we're here, we're talking about is uh, things like EICU, telespecialty consultations, on-site fall prevention, geofencing, on-site wayfinding, that sort of thing. Only 15% of the respondents are spending their time there. And I believe that, I, you know, again, I think just over the last 18 months, any sort of telehealth or virtual or care delivery models have really become more widely talked about across the organization versus, versus just kind of in some innovation or ops areas, right? And then the last and kind of final stage they talk about that people mentioned are is post-care. So how are they engaged, you know, after they go home? And so it's things like uh, remote patient monitoring, wellness apps, education, post-visit follow-ups. You know, we've talked about discharge phone calls for a long time, you know, so kind of think about that world, you know, ways to kind of reach out to them. And only 25% of people mentioned something in that in that category. You know, when we look at this whole concept of a digital revolving door, Reed, we have to look at all of these stages, right? And I know it's hard. I know it's hard. And I get why we're spending most of our time on the front end, because those are things that are more immediate. But, you know, as we're going to get into in the interview with Dave Dalton from Doc ASAP, just right after this next break, we'll start talking about why it's important to understand the customer through all the segments of those journeys. And in addition, ways that, you know, he's seen organizations starting to use digital tools to build that relationship and to continue that trust within, you know, that, that comes within that care setting extended out through all of these other digital channels and truly embracing this concept of a digital revolving door, so to speak. We'll do that right after this break, and then we'll be back to close out the show. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Forget the frustration of picking commerce platforms when you switch your business to Shopify, the global commerce platform that supercharges your selling wherever you sell. With Shopify, you'll harness the same intuitive features, trusted apps, and powerful analytics used by the world's leading brands. Sign up today for your $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash tech, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash tech. Welcome back to the SE Experts segment of the podcast. And today I am delighted to have back on the show a, a friend of ours um, and someone that I've known for a number of years. And for many of you in the industry, you may know him as well. And that's Dave Dalton. Dave, welcome to the show. Thank you very much, Chris. I'm excited that you're here today. You know, I am trying to think back. The last time you were on was a it was a while ago. The people who are listening in now, they may not remember back that far. Not making any judgments on that, um, <laughs> but I think they would really uh, benefit from hearing a little bit about yourself and your background and, and who do you work for. Do you, would you mind sharing? Sure. Uh, thanks again, Chris and Reed, for for having me back on. I'm a fan of the show. You guys do a, a really great job. Uh, Dave Dalton. I am a regional vice president with a company called Doc ASAP, and I've been with the company for about five years and 
we really focus on the, uh, the patient streamlining the patient access journey or pathways into their provider mix, whatever that might look like. And we'll talk a little bit more about that later. I've had a wonderful, uh, wonderful time in healthcare. I'm so much enjoying the change that's happening that as we speak. So thanks, Chris, for having me on. Oh, absolutely. And we have been going through a lot of changes. And really, the the field that you're in, you, you have a lot of exposure to the way organizations are trying to solve many of these problems, you know, that we're going to be talking about here. You know, Reed and I have been talking for the rest of the show. Um, we've been talking a little bit about sort of the, the evolution of the concept of the digital front door. And really, you know, how that's sort of a misnomer. It's more of a revolving door, so to speak. And that, quite frankly, that a lot of organizations, they spend their time looking at certain segments of that patient journey. You know, I wanted to talk to you a little bit uh, more about a particular part of this that is, I think, overlooked when digital people get together and talk about things. We often assume that our patients are ready you know, digital patients. They actually like the digital space. But I think you have a different perspective on that, don't you? Yeah, yeah, I do. And, I, and I, by the way, I completely agree with the notion of the revolving front door. So it's and being a part of the connected patient journey with a digital first application. So we've been talking digital in healthcare now for 10 years. Uh, it's hard. We've seen lots of potential, quote unquote, disruptors come in and try to figure it out and then leave. But the tried and true is that patients are really consumers first. Mm. And they really are surrounded by a digital first strategy where as soon as they you know, wake up, look at their phone, uh, walk out the door, whatever it may be, get in their car. So it's time that we really truly as an industry and healthcare system executives really truly embrace that. There's a, in addition to the study you, you mentioned about patient dissatisfaction leaving their, you know, their ambulatory office setting or whatever it may be, the important setting. I want to point out two more studies of Black Book, really great research. I love the research. They just pointed out that 93% of patients expect to use digital tools that facilitate a patient-provider interactions. Think about that. 93% of patients are expecting that. Wow. So I counsel uh, our system clients a lot of time to meet and exceed patient expectations. Well, they're there. That's nearly 100% of patients literally are expecting some sort of di- digital interaction with the, uh, with the provider or the provider group. And then on top of that, there's a a bunch of studies that point out to roughly 60% of the patients, again, really talking about sort of ambulatory care environments, but it does include imaging, labs, uh, things like that, even PT, that if 60% of these patients, if there is not a digital scheduling tool, will adopt another provider who probably does. So scheduling being that kind of last mile of of digital. Wow, those numbers are pretty significant. So 93%... You know, expect that what well, we may as well just round that up to a hundred, <laughs> right? Right. But I, I think the other piece about this, about the propensity to shift, sixty percent in sort of ambulatory setting would shift just for that convenience of having digital. Yeah, and it's not. You know, healthcare is not retail. It's very different. But see, the thing is, these these are patients who come in with a consumer retail mindset when they approach care. They're going to trust in the care they receive. But what they're looking for is that user interface or that bedside from you know three months before they actually get to that appointment. They're expecting it to be digital. That's what they're that's what they're living right now. When we were talking about this prior, um, you kind of refer to this this opportunity is really turning patients into becoming 
digital patients. Now, what, what exactly do you mean when you kind of say that? Well, so, you know, the question is why or, or why not? Again, if I'm, if I'm running a large healthcare system, why not look at them as uh, in turning by my consumer audience, my patient audience into a digital first patient strategy? First of all, digital first patients are less expensive to find, procure, and then manage and engage and keep in their lifetime of that inpatient. So, that, you know, that individual patient, if they're managing multiple chronic conditions, is worth hundreds of thousands of dollars, right? And a, a digital first strategy is a much less expensive method of bringing that patient in to the, the right kind of patient to the right kind of environment. There's all kinds of tools now that are, you know, the, the front end of what they call consumer acquisition or patient acquisition. So they're able to look at a population segment, refine which type of patients would be more likely to uh, for instance, uh, be men with knee problems. So therefore, let's target them with a particular perspective on coming in to meet the newest knee ortho specialist. That's how we bring a digital patient in first. They're also more compliant. Uh, they just they, Studies upon studies have shown that digital first patients are just more compliant in their care. In other words, think about this way. A few keystrokes or an algorithm is far less costly than a staff member sending emails picking up the phone, calling the patient back and forth and back and forth. It's so much less expensive to be able to have a digital interaction with that particular patient in trusted channels. And there are a ton that are out there, trusted private HIPAA compliant channels. That's one of the reasons. The opportunity really is, is to bring them in as digital patients. So I mentioned being able to reach out into the community, let's say, and, and tell your community that you're there and you have a digital first strategy. The opportunity really is, as I said, to bring them in to their care. And that starts with search. So search starts with Google, Bing, whatever. Starts on health plan, find a doc platforms. Search on social media, of course. And once the patient gets there, there's so many digital front doors as part of this revolving door concept on the health system site. So there's one org level, potentially, hopefully. There's only one org level. And then there's multiple location levels. The, think about all the different service line levels you have, again, including things like lab services or hospital-based services, and all the way down to the individual provider level. I look at that as all aspects of a digital front door for the healthcare system. All the tools are there. It's a matter of decision-making, being able to take, take a, a look back or step back and say, okay, let's, let's adopt a digital first strategy first. Understand that nearly 100% of these patients want to have some sort of dig, digital interaction. So it means taking a little bit of a risk in navigating that patient once they hit that digital front door, not to pick up the phone, but actually convey to them a better way of coming in. And Martha spent a lot of time on uh, Google Knowledge Panels. So a really great use case here is to enable the Google Knowledge Panel for a service line, for a location level, or obviously at a provider level with one-click ability, literally one-click, to go into a scheduling widget that allows the patient to then refine the search further. That's meeting and exceeding. So not hitting a link that goes into the main website of XYZ Health System, where they then have to shop around, right? But go right into a scheduling environment that gives them a few options to refine. That makes sense? It, it totally does. And the way you're describing it, I mean, I, I, every time we think about adopting this sort of digital first strategy around uh, attracting and bringing in patients, it could get very complex very quickly. But the way you described it, it, it almost feels like you've synthesized it into a very approachable way to do this. I've never really thought about 
like adopting Google knowledge panels for service lines, for example. But after you said that, this light bulb went off in my head. I'm like, oh yeah, well, you know, if someone is searching for orthopedic care in your in your market, why not create, you know, this repository of information that you're curating through, uh, you know, through a GMB? I, obviously, we're all doing it on, our, we're trying to do it on our websites too, but people don't always come to our websites with the first, with the first click. No, that's, I mean, you're, you're right. <laughs> you know this, that, that, that sometimes that's the last place they go. They're starting all, all these other places. They could be in next door searching for care, right? Saying who's the best, who's the best doc that for this particular care. Uh, so enable all those channels. Uh, when you think about it, the connected journey that I mentioned before, the connected patient journey, I also think of it of as an omni-channel pathways. Consumers are expecting to interface with their care provider team in a uniform, in a seamless manner that looks and feels the same no matter where they're coming in from. We're talking a lot about like sort of the front end of this, but the whole concept that, you know, Reed and I have been talking about is people return over and over again to the internet. Before, during, uh, you know, I even relate an anecdote of me in the doctor's office where the doctor had to leave the room for a moment. And I went and Googled what he just told me to see what they were saying. But then after as well, tell me your thoughts about that. So I mentioned before, there are a lot of tools out there, but they're just tools. Tools without a strategy are like tools sitting in your garage with, you know, nobody knowing what to do with them, right? It's really a, a digital first strategy approach to look at the entire continuum of care. And there are a couple of different use cases I can talk about, and then I want to get into what you just mentioned. But really, when I focus on, on thinking about this, I focus on really two use cases of access to care. First is finding new care. That's somebody who's moved. There's a health plan chain. They need a specialist. They're growing, whatever. They've had children. All kinds of change, life changes create the opportunity to create new care partners in your life, right? And that's, that's another way of thinking about it digital first care team or care partner. The other use case is chronic care patients. And so these chronic care patient is somebody dealing with multiple comorbidities, managing multiple types of medications, multiple specialists. The idea is to keep that chronic care patient within your network, of course. Really now the only way to do that is with a digital strategy so that the, and there are tons of tools around that. I call it network keepage. So those are the really two use cases I think about. Now, the patient who is sort of, you know, unhappy with the experience that, so think about this, the patient's coming in, hundred percent of these patients are looking for some sort of digital experience. The study that you and I have been referencing shows whatever, two thirds of them leave with a really an unfortunate feeling on their, you know, that they've had. They said, this has not been a really good experience, not the one I expected because I have certain set of expectations. So search and scheduling, I call them kind of table stakes, being able to find the right provider through a Google knowledge panel using what Martha was talking about, strengths to things, and then being able to get into a scheduling environment. But there are other tools that are available that you think about it from perspective of before the appointment. And again, all types of appointments that there are tools available, high quality, good tools available for that patient to fill out digital forms online. We call it digital check-in. They're compliant. They're HIPAA compliant. They pull data from the EHR or if they're a new patient, they actually allow the patient to fill in all types of medication, all with intuitive, natural language search, and then that gets discreetly embedded into the EHR. So we're talking about the patient now who Googles somebody, finds Dr. Boyer with, with a Google search, they go and they click on that with one click, maybe two or three clicks, they're in for care, and then immediately they get a notification 
into their phone or to their laptop that allows them to fill out the forms. Um, now, COVID really brought this to the forefront, but it's here and it's now, and that's what patients are expecting. It, it still confounded, it confounds me when I look at pediatric practices that don't have this as a number one go-to for their practices. When you think about busy young fathers and mothers wanting to be able to fill this out or simply not wanting to go into a sick waiting room, like you mentioned, or I think it was Reed that mentioned it uh, on the episode last week, why not just fill the form out in a car or fill it out two days before you come in? So then a part of that is insurance verification. And so there are tools available to actually verify who your health, what your health plan is. So boom, you've got those two things covered. And then finally, accepting copay payments. All that is available. And it's a matter for the healthcare system executive to understand who's best in class and then try to pull it together, make your vendors play well together unless you can unless you can find a platform. But right then you've with the utilization of probably if you if you think about it, you can probably bring two or three partners in and create a seamless experience for the patient. So once they get there, what they're going to see is a, a waiting room with fewer people in it, because if the system has a digital first strategy, that means a ton of visits are being done by telehealth where nobody's sitting there waiting, filling out forms. They show up on time. There's, just, there's a fewer people waiting to get sick from. And they're going to have a much better experience in the actual exam room because the provider is much better prepared by the intake of information that's been discreetly put into the EHR. So the provider can just pull up that data and have a face-to-face conversation with the patient as opposed to staring at Epic and grumbling under her breath about, you know, why do I have to fill out these forms? It's not too hard to do, and that can create then a much better cared experience, quite frankly, sometimes even longer appointments, because a lot of these telehealth appointments are being had, so the use of space allows you to have longer appointments, and then you're really off to the races with a a solid patient experience. There's one thing I want to get at, Dave, that I think that, you know, we're talking about the tools, we're talking about strategies, we're talking about, you know, making sure that we're outfitting the journey the right way. We haven't done a good job talking about the patient. And oftentimes I think about this, do all patients, are they alike? Do they interact with these digital experience journeys the same way? I'd like to hear your thoughts about that. No, of course not. Uh, <laughs> every patient is different. And, and to a certain extent, those managing multiple chronic conditions tend to be a little bit older. I've heard from so many different people saying, well, you know, Baby Boomers Plus really can't have a, a good digital experience. I mean, that's just bonkers. Uh, when you think about it. So, uh, I mean, it really is. But no, every patient is different. Some will want to pick up the phone and call. Case in point is, uh, you know, our own scheduling solution with all its nuances and really the, you know, the bells and whistles that it does, even though it's available on a particular provider group site, not everybody's using it. There's still some that will choose to make a phone call. So the opportunity there on the phone with the contact center rep or whoever's talking is to gently convert that patient into a digital strategy and say, and, and there's a scripting that you can do with that. And we try to help with contact center uh, mm-hmm. clients mm-hmm. that, that want to actually convert the patient into a digital so that they receive their notifications, not with a phone call, but with a text or an email, you slowly begin to train your patients on how to behave with you. You know, ironically, many of those call center agents are using the very same digital tools yes. that we're enabling for the patients to use. Right, so right. It, it seems like a really a, a, a natural opportunity to kind of educate them about even best practice around how to use these tools and some of the some of the ways they can you know optimize that experience. I think that uh, we're almost there. 
in terms of adoption or, or a greater set of adoptions. There, you know, there's still going to be some, I'm going to offend some people here, but there's still some Luddites out there, of course. What's interesting I find in, in the number of years I've been doing this is a provider leadership, provider leadership of the ones now pushing. And it had to do with, with COVID. They finally figured out that the telemedicine and telehealth allow the provider to really understand that they actually have a better, lower cost, more compliant patient if I adopt this. And so the studies coming out of, of you know 2020 are showing telehealth numbers are coming down, of course, they're sort of settling down to something like 20 to 30% of all visits are now going to be telehealth, of course. But what it did was providers finally, they, they finally got it. They finally saw that they can have a digital interaction, a virtual interaction with the patient. So they're pushing in many ways, they're, uh, you know, the, the, the large enterprise healthcare systems, smart, sophisticated ones are getting pushed by the providers. More than just knowing that, you know, that you can have this interaction. I think the providers are starting to see that you can have valuable interactions and valuable experiences, right? It's not just, it's not just, oh, okay, this is just a quick shortcut. You can't get to the office, so I'll quickly hop on a telemedicine consult with you. It's like you could actually have some really good, meaningful touch points with your patients. Well, think about it. The, the chronic patient that is managing diabetes and probably uh, uh, a heart condition, you know, maybe something else. She may have two jobs or she may have a job that's, you know, that is very onerous. And maybe she's got some kids she's taken care of. And she lives in a place that is a bit of an oasis for access. So there's not really good, healthy public transportation. There's really, no, you know, of course, there's going to be a food desert or two. It used to be that she would have to maybe have six visits a year with her endocrinologist or her primary care doctor, or both, or maybe a podiatrist because of her uh, diabetes complications with her feet. That's six times if she's got to take six days off of work at least, probably you know for a half day, if not the full day, and spend the money to travel. Now, probably three of those visits can be put into some sort of virtual environment. As you guys were saying last week, I think it was Reed who said, hey, I, you know, do I really need to come in just for you to say, hey, I've seen the test results and everything's okay? Yeah. No, no, you don't have <laughs> um, And the, the, even the better use case is the patient getting a notification. It could be from Epic or it could be you know, from some, some of these other platforms that says, hey, we got your test results. Everything's good. You don't need to come in. Press here to schedule your, your annual visit uh, you know, six months from now or something like that. That's what I mean in terms of utilization is driving down costs. And, and the, the funny thing is this stuff is not that expensive. Uh, five years ago, you know, it was, it was almost out of reach because that's what software, software starts high and then, then the utilization that comes down. It's, it's really, it's very uh, affordable now for large healthcare systems to put together platforms. One of the things I wanted to mention is automation. I'm beginning to spend a lot of time thinking about all that we've talked about being, uh, it's not AI, but it is actually automation that helps to put humans who are typically doing this kind of work on the phone, sending emails, faxing, sending letters, <laughs> copying stuff. It puts them in more care situations. I've seen so many situations where a medical assistant is the one literally sending emails back and forth or, or, or making phone calls to the patient. Now that MA can actually be in the exam room with the provider, creating a much better experience for the patient. 
instead of spending all this time on these with these these manual or these uh, human labor things where they are fraught to make mistakes. Let technology take that over without letting go of staff. You're painting a really nice, optimistic picture of the future. I think it's nice to hear that, though, right? Because I think oftentimes we feel like a little bit like we've, we're behind the times, so to speak. It seems like that we are on the right trajectory now. It, it absolutely is. And it's, it's coming from all kinds of different places, right? The silver lining of COVID actually, as, as I said, uh, really helped things. I, I remember one of our clients we we delayed the deployment at the beginning of COVID, uh, of course, because they were really focused on on these patient needs. And then about a month later, she called me and said, "We got we got to get up and running. We, we just trained 300 providers uh, on telehealth, and we figured out that we need digital access to telehealth. <laughs> so we you know we we cranked up the machine and, and got it deployed as quickly as possible. And, and but that's what I mean. It, it sort of you know pushed things forward now and. I don't think we're behind as much as we were, I would say, three or four years ago. I'm feeling very optimistic about the future. Now, Dave, maybe we, you could turn some of your attention to the dentist experience because I still hate going to see the dentist. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> Is there any way we could do virtual dentist? Uh, in I don't know. Yes, it'd be wonderful. <laughs> Now, Dave, this is this is really great. Some really great insights that you shared, and um, you know, you kind of outlined a, a very me- meaningful, manageable way to kind of look at as we're putting this together, as we're looking at our digital revolving door strategy, so to speak. You know, people listening in may want to know a little bit more about you. What's a way that they can uh, find you online? Please love to uh, join in. Uh, find me on LinkedIn. It's D A V E or David. I forget D O L T O N. It might be Dave Dalton. Then same place on Twitter, uh, at Dave Dalton. Although you'll find my Twitter feed, it's, uh, it's a lot of motorcycles, it's uh, baseball, it's <laughs> other things, and, and 50% healthcare. But I've, I have found a, you know, a digital footprint being a, is, a, is a really wonderful place to learn. I, I, you know, I spend an allotment of every day just trying to learn online. Oh, same, same, my friend. And, you know, thanks to you. I think this is a, sort of the genesis behind this episode that we're doing today. So I appreciate I appreciate you being part of our, our fan, our hive, so to speak. <laughs> we'll link to all of those things on the show notes. And again, Dave, thank you so much for your time today and sharing your great insights. Thank you, guys. It's always a pleasure. Take care. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If Only in Theaters, May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. It. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. All right, special thanks to one Dave Dalton for coming on the show. Uh, longtime friend of the show, certainly. Uh, Miss seeing him at all the conferences this year, uh, but but glad to uh, glad to get him connected in, in on the show. So he's always been a big big fan of ours and, and very appreciative of his support. And so it was great to have him on. 
Yeah, it was a great conversation, and we really appreciate him coming on the show. He's a loyal follower and fan of ours, and so thank you, Dave, for sharing some of your great insights. Absolutely. All right, uh, another quick plug for the TPS report. Uh, it has five articles to start your week, like we mentioned earlier. Also has uh, potentially some links to upcoming education and conferences and things like that for quick and easy access. Uh, would love for you to connect with us online as well. If there's somebody we should interview, a topic we should cover, things like that. Would love to know about it. Uh, let's do a couple of recommendations and we'll uh, we'll kick it out of here. Yeah, Reed, today I'm going to recommend an online site that I use for free high-resolution photos. I use it quite a bit when we're looking for photos to kind of support presentation that you might be doing or um, even use it to kind of do our, our album artwork that's on the website, touchpoint.health. Extra plug there to our website. It's called Unsplash, unsplash.com. And I, I recommended them a number of years ago, but I'm bringing that up to the to the forefront again, because this this site is just great. You can go there, you can uh, search, they have a really easy search tool. You can find high resolution photos that are free. Uh, typically they like to have you know some kind of artist mention when you post it, but just an amazing modern view of like great photos. And um, if you're ever in the, in the need to you know use a photo for something that you know you're, you're not using for commercial use, this is absolutely a place that you can go um, and download it. I recommend it. Unsplash.com. Very, very cool. That's a great recommendation. I just uh, just made a note of that to send it to uh, some of our social media managers. Uh, I'm going to recommend an app. Uh, I assume this is also available for Android. I'll be honest, I have not looked, but it's called Life360. This is probably not super news to a lot of folks, but um, something that I've been using for the last I don't know. Time runs together. I don't even know what day it is, Chris, but I'm going to say six <laughs> months or less, uh, somewhere in that time frame, three to six months, maybe. Life 360. It's an app. You put it on all your phones, uh, like my phone, my wife's phone, uh, and then we've got two kids that that have phones as well. And you're able to then, it tracks those devices. You're able to see where they are uh, and that kind of thing. So, What's nice, and I just have the free version. There is a paid version that allows a lot more functionality. So if you've got like a team that's driving, for example, it'll give you a report of like how fast they're driving, oh. or braking, you know, <laughs> things like that, you know. But but I just use it, and it'll send you notifications when people arrive or leave certain destinations. So you can mark your house and maybe work or school or something like that. And so now I know like when my son gets on the bus and they leave school in the afternoon. Mm-hmm. Right, because I get a notification that he has left the school, or you know, something like that. So anyway, it's just nice uh, to know and be able to see, you know, trying trying to be respectful of people being in the car, not putting them in a position of having to text or answer the phone or that kind of thing. I can see how far my wife is away from the house, you know, so I can get everything cleaned up before she gets home. <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. But anyway, it's, it's a neat app. We, we just use kind of the free version just to be able to, to kind of see where, you know, anybody is at any given time uh, or if they've gotten to church or left church or whatever, you know, that, that kind of thing. So anyway, life 360. And like I said, there's a paid version that, that has some additional functionality as well. So that's a great recommendation. I'll have to check that out. Yeah, I mean, it's just, you know, another way people track you and the government knows where you are. But um, <laughs> like you said, privacy is an illusion. So at this point, you might as well, you know, go for convenience. So, anyway. <laughs> All right. Well, another great episode. Thanks, everybody, for tuning in. Uh, again, touchpoint.health, rate, review, subscribe, uh, wherever you have me listening or streaming. 
And uh, for Chris Boyer, I'm Reed Smith, and we'll see you next week. This has been a Touchpoint Media production. To learn more about this show and others like it, please visit us online at touchpoint.health.